All right, Naperville, welcome back to Real Talk. This is the podcast where we focus on all things Naperville. We learn about our neighbors, what makes our city great. And you are going to love today's guest. My guest is, you already know a little bit about her, but we're going to ask her some questions and I can't wait to dig in. So stay tuned. You are not going to want to miss this. That's all up next on Naperville Real Talk. This is the city we call our own. These are the stories of the people we call our neighbors. This is the heartbeat of our hometown. Naperville, this is Real Talk. All right, so today's guest is a Naperville resident, lived here, went to high school here, and unlike most normal teenagers, did some amazing things like becoming the youngest woman to climb the highest peak in all 50 states, and just most recently, the youngest American woman to climb Mount Everest. My guest for today's episode is Lucy Westlake. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about Everest because I think that's what so many people want to hear about. But you are an extraordinary 18-year-old, um, and I have to find out you know, a little bit about how you got there. So, you started your climbing journey when you were seven years old. Is that right? Yeah, that is. Me and my family, um, we are like always been really adventurous in the nature um, and love to travel. So it just really lended itself um, great to to our family character. Um, so we started with this thing called climb or high pointing, um, which is basically climbing to the tallest mountain in every state. And as you mentioned, I do. I now have the record as the youngest woman to complete all fifty states. But back then, that it wasn't really like the goal to to set a record to climb all fifty. Even it was just, oh, this is such a fun family adventure, a great way to bond. So. We did that, um, and the mountains just keep get, getting bigger and bigger, and it became more me and my dad's um, adventure because my brother wasn't super into it. So him and my mom would like stay in the car, and me and my dad became climbing partners. So until up to Everest, he did all of the mountains with me. So yeah, it's been it's been an incredible adventure. It's been amazing just to see my dad grow, to see how I've grown, and how we've grown together. So yeah, the mountains have, have made me into the person I am today. That's amazing. So you're not only a climber. I know that you're also you're a high, a high school athlete, an endurance athlete. So you're into climbing and running. And I mean, so it sounds like you love the outdoors. Um, and again, that became a bonding thing for your family. Um, do other members of your family like to like the outdoors as well? Yeah, it, we all have a really deep appreciation for it. Like my parents just um, my brother and I were just raised in nature. So both of us have that deep love for it. And he's definitely found it kind of more recently than I have, which is, has been really cool to see just him, him really dive into that. But I've always just wanted to be outdoors all the time, like whenever I, whenever possible. So when you did the 50 highest peaks in all the States, as I think about the United States, and I'm not really, I'm sure not as educated about mountains as you are, especially here in the States, the question that comes to my mind is there are probably some states that don't have super high peaks. I'm curious, just just as a fun thing, do you remember what the smallest one is and which state it's in? Honestly, it's kind of, it would be a very close race for the smallest because there's a few that are literally just like flat. Like I remember yes. one, I think it was Louisiana's, I forget exactly which state it was, but it was 
like literally in some in the sidewalk like we had to like wa- walk around this neighborhood looking for this little marker because each have like this tiny little marker about this big that's like that's the high point that's what you got to take the photo with so we were just trying to find it everywhere um there was like one that was in the middle of a school uh one that was just like in in kansas that one was just like in the middle of nowhere on this like tiny little hill you like it was barely even walking up so there's a few like that for sure but one of the things i love about high pointing is that it brings you to places in the country you'd never ever go to otherwise like you see just like these remote and a lot of times beautiful places that that you wouldn't otherwise go to Mm, that's a great point. That's got to be a fun part of it. And obviously, there's the challenge of the climb for the the ones that are a difficult climb. But then, like you said, just kind of the novelty of visiting these different places. So you live in Naperville now. Have you always lived in Naperville? Did you grow up somewhere else? Yeah, I I, I grew up somewhere else. I actually actually moved to Naperville in sixth grade um, and began at Washington um, my seventh grade year. Um, but so I moved in the middle of sixth grade. So before then, I had lived in Louisville, Kentucky for most of my life. And I also actually spent a year in Mexico um, because I have a lot of family down there. So, um, so yeah, Naperville, it's been a while. Like, it, it feels like I've been living here for almost my whole life. But I do. I have been. I lived in Louisville before this. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So you've already had a little experience in different parts of the country and in, in another country, a different part of North America. Um, so when you were in Mexico, did you do climbing there? Um, well, when I lived there, I was only five and six years old, okay. so I did actually climb. Um, that was, I guess, technically my first mountain ever um, with my family called La Malinche. Um, but that, yeah, but I, I like, I don't even remember that, to be honest. I see, saw a picture and it looked fun, but I don't remember that at all. Um, so I have climbed, though, the highest mountain in Mexico. Uh, I went back few years ago, like three or four, four years ago, um, and climbed the mountain with my, with my cousin. He's a climber down there. So that's okay. really cool. Very neat. So the one question that came into my mind really too was in the United States, we have a lot of different climates. We have a lot of different topography. Um, and then certainly once you go around the world, I mean, obviously there's, there's everything available to you. Yeah. So I would imagine the different types of climbs that you've done probably range quite a bit, right? In the approach you have to take or the gear you have to use. Can you describe maybe a a few of those different types of climbs that you've encountered over the years? Yeah, for sure. That's one thing I love about mountaineering is that every single mountain is so different, Um, especially the ones I've done, because usually I like I don't live near a lot of mountains, so I have to travel to them. So I usually travel to a lot of different types of mountains. Uh, Like right now, I'm trying to attempting to be the youngest person to do the Explorers Grand Slam, which is climbing to the top of every continent. So I've actually been to five of the seven continents and all of those mountains have been so different. Mm -hmm. Um, Here in North America, the tallest mountain is Denali and that's in Alaska. So you, you like right away, you're on the glacier, you fly right onto the glacier um, and you're, there's no support um, at all. Like in uh, Everest um, on Aconcagua, which is the tallest one in South America, there's a lot of support, like you get mules can carry your stuff up half some of the way. Um, and then there's um, there's different like porters you could also hire. But on Everest, it's all yourself. Or, sorry, on Denali, it's all yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very different, um, very challenging. Like that mountain is almost as hard as Everest just because mm-hmm. everything is is just you and the mountain. Um, so that one, yeah, the topography is very, very cold. Um, it's similar, the most similar mountain I've done to Everest just because it's, yeah, just glacier the entire time. 
Um, and that's like takes like 20 days to climb around there. So that was a big one. Um, and then Mount Elbrus, that one's the highest one in Europe. That one's also um, on Glacier, but it's a lot quicker climb. It's only like two days. So that's very different. And then once you get to like Africa, Mount Kilimanjaro, you hike through like seven different ecosystems. It's crazy. Like there, wow. that's one of the things that's really cool about Kilimanjaro is you go through like rainforest, you go through like the Alpine region, you you go and you're like up at the at the top on the, in the rocks. Like it's it's really really cool. Um, so and yeah, in South America is also you don't you don't start on glacier. You just trek for a little while. So they're all very different and. I love, I most recently went to the Alps actually just a few days ago. I was climbing in the Alps and I, I, I love those. I've never been in the Alps before and those are gorgeous. So yeah, it's, it, that's like one of my favorite parts about mountain climbing, just the variety. You never run out of adventures. I love that you just, you know, just a month ago climbed Everest and you're right back at it. <laughs> yeah, it was so unplanned too. In the Swiss <laughs> Alps, I just like happened to know someone and they were like, oh, come climb with us. I was like, great. That sounds amazing. That's wonderful. So when you're climbing, especially like you mentioned Kilimanjaro with all these different ecosystems, and then I would imagine lots of different surfaces. So how much of the climb, I know every mountain's different, but, um, you know, maybe on Kilimanjaro, for example, how much of the climb is what probably the average person pictures in their mind of like a vertical, rocky, you know, scaling with, with, and how much of it is, is more of a, of a hike. Can you talk a little bit about those different styles? Yeah, that's also very dependent on the mountain. So Mount Kilimanjaro is probably the easiest of the seven summits. Um, so that one, there's no vertical climbing at all. It's very like, um, I mean, honestly, like if you're in shape, you you could probably do it. The, the hardest part is the altitude. Mm -hmm. So everyone's body reacts a little differently to altitude. So you can get very sick from that or um, be completely fine. So that's the hardest part on Kilimanjaro. There's no vertical climbing, anything like that. You don't need a lot of gear. Um, but then mountains like Everest, there's um, the Kumbu Icefall. That's a very famous part of it as like kind of the most technical. And that requires, you know, that vertical climbing. Um, and it's not, there's fixed ropes all the way up. So you do have that. You don't have to actually like ice climb with ice axes, um, which is very difficult. But, um, but yeah, it requires like to have an ascender and to, to cross ladders, um, jump mm. over crevasses, things like that. Um, so that's definitely, that's very technical. Um, Denali also had some of that, no like vertical rock climbing, but, but definitely some, some climbing that was very steep that you had to be roped in, totally roped in on, and it was on ledges too. There's very, there's a very like exposed ridge on Denali. That's very hard. Um, so yeah, so everyone's a little different and I haven't done a lot of like vertical rock climbing actually. Um, when I was in the Alps a few days ago, um, I was able to do that and that's like, I really want to get more into that side of climbing, like more of like that vertical actually like rock climbing, um, which is definitely different from like mountaineering or alpinism. Um, they're all like slightly different, but mm -hmm. that rock climbing is something that really appeals to me. So I'm hoping um, I'm going to college actually in uh, California at U University of Southern California. So um, I'm hoping when I'm out there to really like get more into that, that climbing. Wonderful. So it sounds like each mountain has a, a ton of preparation that goes into it, I would imagine. So can you talk a little bit about what that's like, even just from some logistical issues of, of travel, of maybe permits, um, and then how much studying do you do of, 
of each mountain and, and the route and the approach you're going to take? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a mountain like Everest definitely requires a lot more preparation than something like in the U.S., like the high pointing, things like that. But it's also um, how much like you're supported by your guide service. So a lot of the times, like on Denali, the first time my dad and I went guided, but then the second time we didn't. Um, so that if you don't use a guide, that requires a lot more knowledge. You definitely have to study the route, know know where you're going, um, and everything like that. But on Denali, I actually or on Everest, I actually didn't do a lot of um, studying of the mountain just because. I, it's more, I'm more engaged in the mountain. Um, if I don't really know, I really like that adventure side to it, that kind of like unknown. So for some people, I definitely like see where like studying, like knowing exactly what you're about to do is like very helpful. But for me, I really almost like not going in completely blind, but like more just like not knowing, um, and just like taking it as it comes. So I, I don't do a lot of studying of the mountains at all. Um, especially when I'm guided because my Sherpa knows the mountain very well. He, my Sherpa on Everest summited 16 times. So wow. I completely like he knew the route exactly. Um, but if I did by myself, I would definitely have to study <laughs> the route for sure. <laughs> uh, and I would not do that the first time. No way. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, talk, oh, go on, go on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then traveling, just like traveling wise and getting like gear prepared um, is also very dependent on the mountain. Like Everest requires a lot of gear, but um, luckily for me, since I'd done other mountains such as Denali, I had um, almost all of it. So um, it depends on like your previous climbing, uh, you know, what you've, what you've acquired over the years. Okay. Okay. I I'm curious. So tell me, talk a little bit more about the Sherpa, like what that role is. I mean, I think a lot of people have heard that term and they kind of get the idea that they're famous guides on, on Mount Everest, but talk a little bit about that lifestyle and how that comes about. Yeah. So Sherpa is actually a, a caste system, um, in, in Nepal and in specifically on Everest. Um, so they have like the porters are a different cast from the Sherpas. Um, and the Sherpa is like a very, very important, very high up class because it's very uh, important in their culture. Like that's a very coveted position of guiding people up. That's how you can become famous from that. You can, you can make a lot of money that way and provide for your family, but, um, you have to be, it's, mostly a family like passed down in a family lineage that's still usually how jobs are passed down there and it's not it's changing um it is not completely like that but especially for sherpas since that's such a special job for them um that's that's usually still it's passed down in your family so yes yeah, so, so my sherpa um his name was mingma and he, his parents were both Sherpas as well. And he actually was a monk for eight years. He thought he wanted to be a monk. So that's, that's, um, so you don't have to exactly follow in your parents' footsteps, but it's like, if you want to be a Sherpa, you kind of have to have that in your family. So, but after being a monk for nine years, he decided, that's when he started being a Sherpa. He decided to start guiding that he wanted to do that. Um, and he, oh, he was amazing. He totally had like the classic monk, like very patient, very calm, um, just knew exactly like what to do, when to do it, and which was amazing up there. Me and him worked really well together. Like by the end, we could almost like read each other's minds because you have so much gear. You have your oxygen mask on. It's hard to hear through every through your hat, your helmets. It's it's you almost do have to read each other's minds. It's really crazy, like the connection you make. That's amazing. It's twenty six days, right? Is how long it 
what your expedition was on Everest? Yeah, yeah, 27 in total. But okay. yeah, that kind of includes like at the bottom, you have to wait for a day to like get off the mountain. So yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's a lot of time to get to know one another. And like you said, the, the trust that you, I suppose, have to really, you know, give right away to okay. be able to, to, to do that together. So you mentioned like the gear, the oxygen, oxygen masks. Talk a little bit about that, about the 27 days, you know, what are sort of the phases of the, of the climb like? Yeah. So the first, when you first fly onto the mountain, you fly in from Kathmandu um, to Lukla, which is like this, the first little village there. And um, so me and my team, it, me, I was the only one summiting the mountain, but I actually had uh, 10 of us in total, just friends and family. My dad actually went with me to base camp. Um, and we just put it out. Whoever wants to come and is in like good shape can go to base camp uh, with us because it really is just a base camp. It's just trekking, just mm. hiking. And it is like challenging hiking. And base camp is at 17,500 feet. So that is a very good amount of elevation, more than we have here in the continental U.S. by mm. a good like 3,000 feet almost. Um, but it takes eight. It took us eight days to get up to base camp. So that is a good amount of time to acclimatize. So, um, so yeah, so the track up to base camp was amazing. It's so beautiful there. Like the mountains are, are giant in every direction. There's, there's mountains everywhere and you're just hiking along these little paths, um, over like swinging bridges. And that, that was like one of my favorite parts for sure. And you stay in these things called hostels. They're kind of like hotels, but not so nice. <laughs> so yeah, they're like, um yeah that you you share his kitchen everything so it's really nice and then up to when we get to base camp that's kind of when the real mountaineering starts mm. so that's from there on um the kumbu ice fall is immediately after base camp so that really mm. technical part um and then you're on glacier the rest of the way up so um so that's when i got out you know my crampons my ice axe that's when my my teammates um went back and i it was just me and my sherpa from there on out and and we, the first thing we did was we did a acclimatization rotation, um, just to like you need more time to acclimatize your body. So it's very typical on any big mountain to to go up and then come back down. And you sometimes do that many times, sometimes only a few, just depending on how your body reacts. Um, so we went four days in total up um, to camp three. There's four camps in total before the summit um, and after base camp. So we went to camp three and then back down. Um, and then rested for a few days and then went on our summit push. So my body handled the altitude really well in that, that rotation. So, um, so the next, the summit push went smoothly. We went all the way to the top and didn't have to come back down again. So that was really great. And I was not expecting to, to be done so fast. Like 27 days is really, usually it takes 40 to 60. So I was really happy with that. And I got to come back for my graduation and everything. So <laughs> yeah, you make it, you make it sound like it was so quick, <laughs> 26 days, yeah. but that, but you're saying that is quick compared to normal. That's amazing. So uh, once you make the ascent beyond base camp at, from that point, our overnight stays camping essentially, or yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. At base camp, um, you you sleep in tents, but they're like nice tents. And there's also a big kitchen tent um, where they actually have chefs. Um, that that's amazing. Like it's very nice. I was not expecting something so so nice, and um, and I never had that really on any other mountain. So it was Everest is very very well supported just because so many people do it. That's a very nice thing about it. Um, so base camp was really nice. Um, camp one was very small. So yeah, just tent 
camping in it. Camp two, um, that's kind of like where everyone does their summit. They're like, it's kind of like high base camp. So it's a bigger camp as well. So there's actually a kitchen tent there too. Um, but like not as nice tents. It gets a little more like more real mountaineering, more like that real camping type of feel. And then camp three and four are very remote, very small. Um, just you and your tent. Um, you cook for yourself. You bring all your own food up there. You all your gas, just everything is carried up by yourself. Okay. So how, uh, how much of the day uh, is actually spent climbing? Yeah, that also depends. So up to base camp, um, I'd say average like five, six hours of climbing a day, um, just hiking. And then um, up from base camp, it also like really depends. It was like six hours um, up to camp one. Um, but then the next day it was only four to camp three. It was like six. Um, so it's not too, too strenuous of like hiking days it's not too long until summit day is very very long summit day is um is 15 hours in total for us that's wow. how long it took yeah so that day we woke up at 9 p.m um and er, we actually we left at 9 p.m we woke up a little bit earlier we tried to sleep the entire day so earlier that day we actually hiked hiked up to camp four then just rested for the remainder of the day until like that night um, then left at 9 p.m., um, summited it at 5 a.m., uh, and then it, it took us three hours to get back to Camp 4, and then another, like, two or three hours down. We went all the way down to Camp 2 that day. So okay. um, just to get off of that upper mountain, you don't want to have to use oxygen again because at Camp 3 and 4, you have to use oxygen typically um, okay. unless your your plan is to not use oxygen. Then it takes a lot more time on the mountain. Mm. Uh, we have to do many more rotations. So, okay. so yeah, so it was – it was summer days hard and then also like going up uh before summit day there's a few days one day is like eight hours so but yeah it really depends on the kind of like where you're going to so i'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times and it might be hard for you to put it into words but when you achieve the summit how how long do you get to soak it in and can you describe what that feels like what the view is like <laughs> yeah yeah so we were up on the summit for a good like 20, 25 minutes, um, which was really great because luckily we were one of the first ones to summit that day. So it was like we there's no line or anything. We just got to go right up to the summit. And it, it was just like it was really unimaginable that we summited. Like I was just like having to tell myself over and over. I was like, I did it. Like I would I was like whispering to myself when I was up there a few times. I was like, I did it. I did it. And I was just I was just thinking about, you know, how proud I was of myself, how my family would be so proud and um, like all the time and energy and and money and, and love they put behind me like that that summiting for them was was a big yeah very very special moment and the view is also just beautiful like we summited about an hour before we summited the sunrose mm. and so all the mountains were just like pink and, and glowing and there was like low clouds and there was just these huge magnificent peaks all around you just mm. like poking up out of the clouds so yeah beautiful. so you've mentioned your family a few times and i'm i'm sure they were immensely proud of you so what is that like uh, specifically, I know, you know, part of your climbing journey or mountaineering journey has been with your dad. Yeah. What is it like for dad, but also mom and brother to have you go on, especially this one by yourself, a pretty dangerous expedition. What's that like for them? 
Yeah, they've, so especially my mom is definitely grown over like the years and her confidence in me. Like I, she used to be like get really nervous before some of the mountains when I was younger. Um, and she still gets nervous. She still gives me like five hugs before I leave and like says goodbye like multiple times. But it's definitely like she definitely has a lot of confidence in me um, and really supports me in that um, and is really happy for me. And um, my dad definitely I know he wanted to be up there with me. Um, but but at the same time, like he he's so supportive. He just wants like he did. He did it for me. Um, like that's why he climbs. He he started climbing because I loved it. And we like grew together in that. So so I know like um, so he's very happy. I'm still I'm still climbing and doing what I love. Even if it's not with him all the time. Um, and then my brother, too. He like climbing isn't his passion. But he has he's like a very, um, very good football player, loves loves sports and is very athletic. But um, but yeah, he knows climbing isn't his passion. Sometimes I'm like, oh, please come on, the, please like climb a mountain with me. And I think he he's getting more. His responses have been more towards yes lately. But um, <laughs> so I'm working on him. But yeah, so but he is really he he's really supportive as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I imagine in all of your climbs, not just Everest, but other mountains as well, there have to be some some difficult moments, right? Um, mm -hmm. And whether you're with a family member or, or doing it on your own, is there something you lean on? Is there anything you think about during those hard moments to push through? Yeah, definitely. I so I'm a really strong Christian. Um, so that's really what what I lean on for sure when I when I'm up there. Um, I like I, I talk to God more than anywhere else in the mountains. Like that's that's the thing. I just ask him for safety because there's a million things that can go wrong up there. A million things that you can't control that are unknown. Um, so that's, yeah, I just like, I have to trust that he, his plan, he has a plan for me and that, that being up there is, uh, I'm not, I'm not like just in the hands of the unknown. I'm not totally in the hands of the mountains. Um, because yeah, there's been, there, I've seen a lot of accidents up there. I have, mm. and that's just something yeah. that you do have to, you do have to accept when you're going up there before you climb is that there's a lot of risks there are um and you have to decide if you love it enough if it's something that you're willing to to risk um so yeah and I do and I think a lot about my family too I like I miss them a lot especially on this past Everest trip because I wasn't I didn't have my dad with me and usually he's mm -hmm. kind of like that tie to home so I yeah. miss them a lot but just knowing that they're they're behind me supporting me I get like text from my mom there I have this little there's no like cell phone service I have this little Garmin right. device that like connects my phone to a few numbers so just getting text from home is is the best that's nice you have to be able to have some anchor uh, to, to home. So you're not completely out there. Um, so you've climbed, so you've done the 50 highest peaks you've done in the United States, you've done Everest, you, and now you said you're working on, um, the, uh, the Explorer's Grand Slam. So what peaks do you still have to climb? Yeah. So after having done Everest, I've done five of the, of the seven, um, and I have two left to, um, two left and then also the North and South, South poles. So okay. I have three expeditions in total. Um, one is to, um, to Antarctica to do Mount Vincent, which is the highest mountain in Antarctica and then also the South pole. 
Um, another one is to Oceania, to Karsten's Pyramid. That's the highest one in Oceania. And then the third one is to the North Pole. So those are my upcoming adventures that I'm trying to plan. The main thing right now is just, you know, f- uh, raising money because it's it's really expensive to do some of these, especially the North and South Poles are, are extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to get sponsors, raise money, um, and then also just wait out some COVID restrictions for mm-hmm. for um, uh, for the one in Oceania, for Carson's mm-hmm. Pyramid. Um, and my also my next big adventure is going to college and running at USC. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really excited for that. That's too. great. What, so what, uh, what events are you going to be running there? Do you know yet? Um, I'm, I'm a distance runner. So okay. basically as long as I can find. In cross country, it's a 6K. And then okay. track, um, probably 2-mile, 5K, 10K, around okay. those events. Yeah. So you graduated from Naperville North, right? Yes, I did. I actually graduated a semester early in December so that I could go to Everest, go um, to Africa and, and okay. tour some water projects there because that's a, definitely a big passion of mine is is the water crisis, the water and sanitation crisis. Um, and I, I went over and got to got to see a lot of projects over there. So that was amazing. Yeah. And I want to ask you more about that in a second, too. But I, I have to know, what do what do your high school friends think about what you do? I think they, they're starting to understand it a lot more, especially with all like the media coverage that I got after Everest. Like at first, like sometimes they ask, they ask me like questions about it and it's just so hard to explain, you know, it's just such a different world, especially from what we have here in like the Chicago area. There's not no mountains. So like the closest, you know, comparison is out West. Um, But yeah, it is, it's hard to describe, but but they like uh, it's so fun getting back here and just like everyone like like loving like giving me so much love and support and yeah I love I I really love it. Naperville North has been an amazing part of my life for sure, um, and all the just the people there. That's what makes it really the people. That's awesome. So yeah, like you said, college is an, is the next big adventure, and there'll be lots to learn there. Uh, what will you be studying when you go there? Um, I'm going to study public policy is going to be my major. And then my minor is going to be social entrepreneurship. Um, I'm hoping to, after college, go into the field of of water and sanitation. So um, more like the policy side to get different policies implemented in governments that that will really create change um, in those countries. So that's what I'm hoping to do um, after college. I hope that that's what I want to focus my studies on. Perfect. Well, that leads right into my next question. So you... uh... I've read that you work with a not-for-profit based out of Kentucky called Water Step, right? And so that's to address uh, to address global water crisis. Can you talk more about what Water Step does? And for people who, I mean, I'll be honest, when I'm in my house in Naperville and I turn on the water and I, I sprinkled the grass today, I don't think, I don't think about a crisis because you know I'm not in one, but there is. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I I got involved with Waterstep um, because I actually have a pen pal um, in Uganda who is my age, and her name is Faith, and I've been pen pals with her since I was two years old, very very young. Like our parents used to communicate, and then as we grew older, we would we would write each other letters. So she told me when I was when we were young, very young, like around ten or eleven years old, that she uh, was living without clean water, that her family didn't have access to clean water, and I was the same way. Where I I didn't really understand what that meant. I didn't even know that that was um, that was something that uh, I didn't know it was a crisis at all. Like I'd just always gone to my tap and filled it up with water, taken showers, you know, used the toilet, everything. I thought that's what everyone had. 
Um, but then I learned that she didn't. And that was really like just upsetting to me um, that that she was living without it. So I begged my parents. I was like, can we please go to Africa? And I didn't really know exactly at first what I what how I would help at all. I just wanted to see her and everything and how she lived. Um, but then I, I actually got connected when I was around like 13 um, to Waterstep, which is this nonprofit based out of Louisville, Kentucky. And that's right, w- right when we like lived in Louisville, too. So it was that's how we like made that connection. Um, but yeah, so Waterstep actually gave me and my family a water filter and trained us on mm-hmm. how to install it in a village. So we were able to go over when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro when I was 13. We also went on that same trip and went to Uganda where they were living and installed a water filter in Face Village. So mm-hmm. after doing that and just seeing the impact that that filter had on the community and how everyone lived over there, how different it was, how privileged we are in the U.S., um, yeah, it was it was like life changing. I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I from then on kind of planned to graduate early to to be able to go back and and visit faith again, but also just see kind of what I wanted to study in, in college because I knew that's what I wanted to do after college. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. <laughs> Definitely a trip. But that's that's one of my big motivations behind my climbing is just to raise awareness for that um, and to use the platform I have, the gifts I have for something greater than myself. I think that's really important. Well, I'm, I'm a little taken aback, just to be honest with you. I, I was 18 once myself. <laughs> I remember what it felt like. And you are really amazing. Uh, for your age to have the to have the perspective that you have, um, like you said, outside yourself, which I think we all struggle with at any age. Um, but if someone's inspired by you know by what you just shared, how can they get involved with Waterstep? Yeah, there's waterstep.org is their organization, and on there they have all the information about themselves. Um, they actually they ho- the main way they raise money is they host shoe drives. Um, so you can, you can, if you want to volunteer, you can host a shoe drive or you can just donate directly to Waterstep. Um, there's many ways to get involved that way for sure. And I actually, I started an Etsy shop too. If you um, want to get any, I started a brand called Lucy Climbs. Um, so that Etsy shop, if you want to get any of my merch, all the profits go directly towards Waterstep and their, their projects in Uganda and Kenya. So that's another way to, to um, donate to them and to get involved that way. Um, but yeah, they're an amazing organization. And there are there are many, many amazing organizations out there that are doing some really cool things. Um, so yeah, so just if doing a quick Google search, we'll, we'll probably pull up a lot of those, which are amazing. That's awesome. So um, I, I, I can't wait to catch up with you in the future and kind of see where, where your journey takes you. So we know about kind of what's next with college, what's next, you know, for your climbing adventures and what you hope for the future. You got any plans for this summer? Are you going to take a little break or to enjoy your last summer before college? Yes. Yeah. This <laughs> summer, I'm just going to spend with friends and family. Just, yeah, doing a, a few road trips, traveling a bit, but mostly just like relaxing. <laughs> good, good. You deserve it, I think. Thank well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I, I think we could probably talk for hours, and I do think I'd love to have you back at some point in the future just to catch up, and especially when you achieve the Grand Slam. But, Lucy, I just want to thank you. Um, not only for joining us, you know, on the podcast, but just sharing your heart and your passion. And I think that's going to be infectious for people probably wherever you go. So thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share my story. I just want to thank my guest, Lucy Westlake, just an amazing young woman. I mean, I think 
her story needs to be shared. I think we all could use a little bit more perspective um, like she gains, you know, not only from a literal sense on her climbing, but just her view of the world. Uh, I can't wait to see what lies ahead for her future. As far as what's ahead for the future of Naperville Real Talk, we've got some great guests coming up. I can't wait to share with you. Uh, one of our next episodes will be with Cisco Cotto, the voice, radio voice of WBBM and uh, pastor of Village Bible Church here in Naperville. So I can't wait to share that chat with you. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course on YouTube. And we hope to see you next time on Real Talk.